Jens Soren, convicted of murdering his girlfriend's parents when he was 18 years old, spent 33 years in prison. While there, he became a Christian and wrote the award-winning book, The Convict Christ. In it, he writes, When God chose to take on human flesh, he did not become a priest or a monk, a king or a general, a poet or a philosopher. Instead, he became a death row prisoner, a condemned criminal executed alongside two thieves. Nothing else would do. The living image of the invisible deity could take no truer form than a dead man walking, the lowest of the low. Yet we somehow manage to overlook the central fact of our faith. When we think of Jesus, we prefer the beautiful baby in Mary's arms, the miracle worker, the eloquent preacher, or the resurrected son sitting on a cloud next to his father. Christ is indeed all of these, but he saved us by submitting himself to capital punishment as a convicted felon. His most important work was to die as a common criminal. In our text for today, we see him preparing himself and his disciples for that event. Continuing in our study of the 13th chapter of John. When therefore he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Now, if you remember the scene, Judas had just left the room when Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now, is that an expression of relief over the fact that the betrayer is gone and the traitor has been exposed? That Jesus has outsmarted him and was therefore glorying in his victory? Not at all. Jesus is anticipating the glory of the cross in those words. He knows that in just a few hours, Judas will lead the lynch mob to the Garden of Gethsemane and betray him with a kiss. He knows that there will be a series of kangaroo courts throughout the night and that by 9 o'clock the next morning, he will be on a cross. Obviously, he didn't look forward to the crucifixion. In fact, he would sweat blood in agony over the prospect of the suffering he would have to face and the separation from his father that he would have to endure. But he knew that he would be glorified through the cross. He knew that through the cross he would be exalted to the status of Savior of mankind, and that's what he had come to do. He knew that his Father would be glorified through it as well, that the world would see the love of a heavenly Father who was willing to give up his only begotten Son through the cross. And Jesus wanted that love revealed. 
He also knew that God would glorify him by not allowing him to remain in the tomb for long, that immediately, in a very short time, three days to be exact, he would rise from the grave, demonstrating for all time that he was, in fact, the Son of God and only Savior. He would be glorified not only through the cross, but through the resurrection that was to follow. Jesus could therefore look at the horrible events that were about to transpire and see in them glory, glory for himself and glory for his Father in heaven. But he could also see in them real pain for his disciples. And he knew that that pain could only be soothed by love from the cross. So he continues. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, I now say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Little children. This is the only place in the Gospels where this term is addressed to adults. As we'll soon note, John will later use it to address his children in the faith, but only here does Jesus call his disciples little children. Now, he wasn't using it in a derogatory manner, putting them down for their lack of faith or their childish arguing. He was using it to express his affection and care for them. He knew that they were going to be facing for the next couple of days things that were horrible. He knew he was going to be taken from them violently and that they were going to scatter like frightened children. He knew they would be distraught at his absence and would long for his presence. Now, he had earlier told the Jews that he was going someplace where they couldn't come. He also told them that they would seek him but wouldn't be able to find him. Well, he doesn't make that second statement to his disciples. They would see him again soon, but they could not go where he was going. Not then. They would feel the pain of separation from him for a season, and the pain would be real. So he tells them how to cope with it. He tells them to love one another the same way he had loved them. They wouldn't miss him nearly so much if his love were still present among them. Physical separation from him wouldn't be a spiritual separation from him if they would continue to love each other the way he loved them. In fact, he gave them a new commandment based on that love. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In the Old Testament, God had told his people to love their neighbors as themselves, and that was indeed a challenge. But here Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another as he 
had loved them. And how had he loved them? He loved them more than he loved himself, far more. And he would prove it by dying for them. That's the love that flows from Calvary. That's the love from the cross. That's the kind of love Jesus commanded his disciples to show to one another. And the kind of love he expects from his children today. You know, the world can only see Jesus' love today through his body on earth, the church. He's no longer here in the flesh. So it's now up to us to demonstrate his love for the world and the love his disciples have for one another. Sadly, we fail far too often on both accounts. We isolate ourselves from a world that needs to see his love. And when the world even bothers to look at the church, what they see is infighting, quarreling, and division. Now, this isn't something that's unique to our generation. Paul had to deal with it in the churches of his day. We got a glimpse of that Wednesday night in our study of 1 Corinthians. Paul had been told that there were quarrels among members of the church and, and divisions among them. In fact, things had gotten so bad that they were going to court against one another, refusing to eat with one another at church suppers, and looking down their noses at those who had what some deemed to be lesser gifts of the Spirit. The word Paul used for divisions was used by the Greeks to describe a tear in a garment or holes in their fishing nets. Paul didn't want their garments to be torn. He didn't want the church looking bad to the world in rags, all tattered and torn. And how could they be effective fishers of men if their nets were full of holes? If the church is to be an effective, attractive body, it must be united in the love of Christ and in the mind of Christ. And Paul painted a picture of that love and mind when writing to the Philippians. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the kind of love 
that must be expressed in the church. And the kind of love the 11 would have to show each other if they were to make it without him. So Jesus commanded that they show it, knowing full well that they, like us, would fall short in obeying that command. In fact, when John wrote to the church some 50 or 60 years later, he had to remind them of what Jesus had said. And he addressed them as Jesus had. Do not marvel, brother, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and behold his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. The early church often failed to show the same kind of love to each other that Christ had shown to them and commanded them. And we fail in that as well. And that's why the cross was needed. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, a cock shall not crow until you deny me three times. Leave it to Peter to speak up. Lord, where are you going? He wanted to know. Jesus simply answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. Jesus was going to a cross, and someday Peter would go to a cross as well, but not then. Peter responded, why can't I follow you right now? And he may have had some idea of where Jesus was going, because he added, I will lay down my life for you. Now, Peter thought he was ready to go anywhere and do anything for his Lord. But he wasn't, and Jesus knew it. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock shall not crow until you deny me three times. Either cocks would stop crowing or Peter was going to deny his Lord three times before morning. Peter was shocked and denied vehemently that he would ever deny his Lord, but in a matter of hours, he would swear that he didn't even know Jesus. Now, unlike Judas, Peter hadn't contemplated his denial. He hadn't plotted and schemed to betray his Lord, but he was weak. 
He couldn't do what he thought he could do. He couldn't live up to his own expectations, let alone the commands of Christ. So Peter, like the rest of us, was in need of what Jesus was going to the cross to do. Peter would need the forgiveness that would come from the cross. He needed a savior, someone to do for and through him what he could not do. Jesus knew his need and therefore willingly set out alone to meet it. It was time for the cross. Through it, Christ and his Father would be glorified. Through it, Jesus' disciples would learn how to love. And through it, we would find forgiveness for our failures and the grace needed to become what God desires us to be. Jesus went to his cross alone. Peter couldn't accompany him there, but he would one day find himself on a cross, upside down at his request, because he felt himself not worthy to die, as did his Lord. We couldn't go with Jesus to his cross either. We weren't there when he was crucified 2,000 years ago. But we can come under the shadow of the cross and allow his death to cover our failures and our sins. Through Christian baptism, through immersion into Christ, we can symbolically share in his death. And when we rise from that watery grave, we not only share in his resurrection and the promise of our own, but we commit ourselves to walking in newness of life. And then, when we take up our cross and honestly die to self by his grace and strength, we can begin loving one another as he loved us. It was time for Jesus to go to the cross. And if you've not done so, now is the time for you to go to the cross as well. And let me assure you, there is room at the cross for you to stand.